Hello, and welcome to Line One, Your Health Connection. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. The original food pyramid taught in the 1990s has gone through multiple iterations due to the evolution of research, arriving at the healthy eating plate that is taught today. The unhealthy relationship with food suffered by many Americans has sadly not evolved in the same way. In fact, the incidence of adult obesity in the U.S. is greater than 42% and spans all genders, education levels, economic status, race, and ethnicity. What is the key to nutrition and fitness that eludes us? There are so many popular diets circulating, each one unique, and each one claiming to lead to healthy weight and wellness. Does one specific diet exist that is guaranteed to lead to weight loss, health, and wellness? Joining us today is Ms. Audra Henderson. She has her Master of Public Health and is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and fitness expert. She assists individuals and groups achieve a healthy lifestyle through her virtual practice, Audra Wellness and Nutritional Therapy. Ms. Henderson, hello, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And you can also join our conversation. Have you been struggling with weight loss despite a healthy eating plan? Have you been gaining weight and struggling with a lack of motivation? Do you know that you need to add movement into your life, but feel that you don't have the time? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, in Anchorage at 550-8433, 550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Well, Ms. Henderson, I'd like to get to know you a bit better. I know you live in Juneau, but you serve within Alaska and outside of Alaska, and you have a special passion for helping Alaskans to achieve a healthy lifestyle. Your virtual practice is so intriguing. What led to your interest in nutrition and fitness? Um, well, I mean, to be honest, I I didn't necessarily know that this is what I wanted to do my entire life. Um, I just um, really found myself interested in food and nutrition at a pretty young age. I was always active in school. I was on a competitive dance team. And so I really, um, you know, found a pretty early relationship between food and feelings, food and mood, food and energy. I mean, I noticed those relationships pretty early on. And um, I think it really stemmed, you know, from there. Um, As I got into my early 20s, I had a series of health conditions that um, I later found out were somewhat autoimmune related, somewhat stress related, somewhat unhealthy relationship with food related. And all of those things contributed to some hormonal imbalances, you know, I mean, things that we have that we think of as being pretty commonplace, like acne or digestive disorders or, you know, fatigue after meals. I mean, things like that that we get kind of used to um, are really indicative of something bigger going on. So I found um, natural medicine. I found an ND and started um, seeking that route in addition to going to um, MDs and specialists trying to kind of find the root cause. And ultimately, it led me to um, getting my master's in public health, um, becoming a certified personal trainer just because fitness is so fun and it's such a part of 
healthy living, and um, then furthering my career with uh, nutritional therapy. Okay. Well, you mentioned Indies. So I just wanted to let them know it's a, a naturopathic doctor. And then you saw a medical doctor. And there was someone else you said that you, you saw during your time of medical issues. Oh, well, quite, quite honestly, I saw everyone. I oh. mean, I saw an acupuncturist. I saw a chiropractor. I really explored everything trying to figure out exactly what was happening um, with my body. And I failed to really, really, really understand the relationship between food and all of the symptoms. And I was treating this and treating that and treating this and treating that. And once I really understood um, deeply how much food was related to all of it, um, that's really when things started to transform. That's right. Food affects every aspect of our life. We can't actually, you know, really treat anything without dealing with the food aspect, but that's where, you know, it's very difficult because a lot of uh, providers um, in the medical field, in all areas of all types of practitioners have little experience with it, unless they've sought it out, little experience with nutrition. Well, when you pursued your Master of Public Health degree, did you know that this is where you would lead? Actually, no. Um, I started my, I, I left because I started my master's um, and I, I knew that I wanted to work with people. I knew that I wanted to work in nutrition more specifically. Um, and I, you know, had a general sense of the type of work I wanted to do. I would not, uh, it was only through that program, though, that I really realized that I was a lacking in really in-depth nutrition um, at that time, and also that I really enjoy working with people one-on-one, not just the macro level, but really the micro level, right? So small groups, one-on-one, virtual practice. Excellent. How did you develop your virtual practice? So that um, started also um, sort of by accident. I was living in Arizona, and I found a naturopathic doctor who was phenomenal, I mean, absolutely phenomenal, like nobody I've ever seen before. And I moved to back home to the state of Alaska, and I wanted to continue, continue to see her. And so I asked her if I could um, get blood work done in Alaska and fax it to her and have phone consults and um, email communication. And so that's what we did for several years. And it um, worked as a, as a virtual practice for her. So nobody was really virtually practicing at that, practicing at that time. And that was probably not 15 years ago, right? No, we weren't doing Skype really. I mean, it was around, but it wasn't heavily utilized. Um, and I just thought this is the, we should really be able to see people who we connect with, who align with what we're looking to do and our values. And it really shouldn't be limited to location whatsoever. And so I was like, anywhere care is going to be my motto. Anywhere care. Also, I'm an avid traveler. I love to travel and I don't want to not see people when I'm traveling, right? I don't want other people to feel like, oh, I can't see you. I don't want to do something, blah, 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 until I get back to my place of residence, right? Like, no, health is where we are. It is who we are. It's our inherent nature, and it should be with us everywhere, right? Not just when we're at our home, um, you know, wherever that may be. So um, that's really what led to virtual practice. And then um, in the last year and a half, more and more things have become virtual. So it's actually really helped, um, helped me and my business and people to see the value in virtual care. Yes, you were way ahead of the times. 
Well, tell me about your education pathway. How did you become a nutritionist? Um, again, with my master's in public health. Um, but then I uh, found a school um, called Nutritional Therapy Association, and they're based in Seattle. Um, and I really found that what their um, philosophy they are an evidence-based, um, they use evidence-based and individualized approach to healing. I really found that it just really was exactly what I was looking for. And I've been looking for quite a while, actually, different schools. And so that, once I met, and then I met someone who had gone there, and I just really jumped, and it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, so this career path, I um, decided I did not want to be um, a dietitian or registered dietitian um, because of the nature of the work, generally being in more of a clinical or hospital setting. Um, but also the, the difference is the training, um, they, that's a heavily regulated title, and they're trained nutritional professionals who have met standards set by the Commission on Dietetic Registration um, of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And so that it just wasn't quite aligned with what I was looking for. Nutritionist, or the word nutritionist, is actually not as regulated. So sometimes nutritionists do take board certification, but that's not to say that every nutrition specialist is board certified. I myself am not board certified, um, but it also leads to other areas of um, focus. For example, nutritionists can pursue advanced qualifications in specific health areas, such as forced nutrition, digestive disorders, autoimmune conditions, things like that. Is there a difference in the type of setting that nutritionists would work versus registered dietitians? Um, generally, yes. Um, generally, yes. Uh, there is more of a focus for RDs to be in hospital or clinical settings, um, and nutritionists can be um, in more, sometimes in uh, clinical settings, but also have our own practices um, and virtual, virtual practices. Mm -hmm. It had to do a little bit with the training, but also the type of information that is being um, used and utilized. And then quickly, uh, you pursued a track in functional nutritional therapy versus mm -hmm. nutritional therapy. So what are some of the basic differences between functional nutritional therapy and nutritional therapy? Well, the word functional is thrown around a lot. We hear that. It, there, it, to my understanding, there's actually not one solid meaning. So generally, the word functional looks at the, the, pick, the person as a whole, right? So we're looking at the entire function of the entire system. Um, in this example, functional or with NTA, functional has to do with the more hands-on um, portion of nutritional therapy. So while I am using a virtual practice to, to serve clients, um, I do have hands-on training for as well. And so that's what the functional part has to do with um, in, at, for NTA. But oh. the foundations and what we study are, are, are really essentially the same. Oh, thank you. Well, let's dish up some nutrition. We all remember the food pyramid, but what are the current guidelines on healthy eating that we're now being taught. So the current guidelines, um, we have moved away from the food pyramid, and it's now something that we call my plate. 
Um, there are, you know, core competencies that you can look up, um, you know, for this um, that were developed by the Department of Health and Human Services and the USDA. Um, so they're, you know, generally to follow a healthy eating pattern across the lifespan, to focus on variety, nutrient density, and amount, to limit calories from added sugars and saturated fats, and to reduce sodium intake, to shift to a healthier food and beverage choice. Um, which is pretty general, and then to support healthy eating patterns for all. Those specific recommendations are broken down into fruit recommendations, vegetable recommendations, grain recommendations, dairy, protein, and oil or fat recommendations. Do you have any specific food recommendations that you give to clients for overall health? Oh, well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, um, I teach multiple classes um, virtually and across um, across the state and these classes range you know from an hour up to um, nine nine hours right so one hour per per week or per day um, for for nine lessons so I'm trying to just give you a big picture to summarize to say when I teach nine hours of material there are a few things that I say if you learn nothing else from my class here are a few things to keep in mind, right? So there's a famous Jack LaLanne quote. I love it. Um, I use it all the time. It's eat real food, mostly plants, not too much. Hmm. Eat real food, mostly plants, not too much. And then we break that down. What does that mean? Eat real foods, right? So real foods are those that generally exist on the perimeter of the grocery store, right? They rot at room temperature. They usually contain one ingredient, if not two. So chicken breast and salt, right, as a preservative. Not, um, and to really, the second thing I tell people is to learn, if you learn nothing else, to learn the difference between a product and a food, right? So products generally have very long shelf life. Ingredients have been added to make them have a longer shelf life and generally don't rot at room temperature for quite some time. That's not to say they don't at all, right? But bread that we buy in a store that will last several weeks, right, is very different than um, chicken that we put in our refrigerator, right? Something like that, berries that we put in our refrigerator. So those are some of the key um, takeaways. Eat real food, mostly plants, not too much. I really love that. Okay, I'm going to remember that quote. That's a good one. I know when people are working on weight loss, there's a lot of talk about macronutrients. Can you tell us what is that? So there are um, four um, categories of macronutrients. Um, the ones that we always think about are fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. Also, water is um, the fourth. Uh, so the macronutrients are those, those four um, food groups and then things that fit underneath those food groups, um, sometimes, right, are multiple. So something like eggs are both fats and proteins. Um, so they're not just always limited to one category, but they're essentially the building blocks um, that all of our nutrients come from. And then micronutrients, um, these are vitamins and minerals. And so where we're getting our vitamins and minerals is from these macronutrients, but also we get them from supplements if that's a part of somebody's um, routine as well. Do you assess in your practice whether patients are deficient in these in the vitamins? Um, well, you can, yeah. So we, what I use um, is a series of uh, like questionnaires, assessments, conversation, um, 
food and mood logs, any different tools that I utilize. But one of the things that we use is specific to um, most NTPs or FNTPs, um, and it's called um, a nutritional assessment questionnaire. Uh, it actually graphically shows where we are having deficiencies as a tool. I mean, it's not 100%, right? We use other tools as well. But I can see graphically where, um, you know, kind of essentially what systems are taking the hardest hit. So it's not so much let's measure your potassium level and see, but let's do a functional evaluation. Let's look at your graph. Let's look at your diet to see are you deficient in minerals, right? Like are you having muscle cramps? Are you having, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, and we do hear a lot about uh, women especially because that's what I see mostly, having muscle cramps. And so there are, you know, things that they do like – you know, magnesium to help with those cramps. But many of them have been prescribed, you know, medications, but it wasn't until they fixed their vitamin and mineral status that they really noticed a benefit. Are these some of the things you see? Yes, absolutely. Um, Hydration is a big part of of, uh, everything, right? We just... um, really need to drink, you know, drink water. We're so lucky in Alaska that we have some of the best water in the world. Uh, And so if I was to, when I teach, you know, classes in California or talk to, right, the different filtration methods and why it's important to have home filtration, we don't have to worry about that as much here in Alaska. Um, But hydration is a big part of mineral balance. Um, What we know, I mean, we know that a lot of Americans are really deficient in um, magnesium and that we're also missing the cofactor for absorption of magnesium. So what that means is we're missing some of those extra things that are needed to digest and absorb magnesium, even when we're getting it from our diet. Um, so those are things that we look at a little bit more specifically. Well, you're really going in depth. That's, that's wonderful. Okay, those are some really good takeaways. Let's just add one more takeaway. And we do hear this, but I think the more input we have, the better it is. But what is your recommendation for water intake? How can we increase our hydration? Well, there is debate about hydration, even in the um, medical in the, in the medical world. Um, we like to start with, you know, half of your body weight in ounces of water. And that's a pretty good place to start. So how do we drink our water? Um, you know, do you drink it in the morning? Do you prefer it with um, cucumbers in it? You know, really, it, um, as long as you're just starting with that kind of basis, um, that's, a good, that's a great place to start is with half of our body weight in ounces. Specifically, drinking water away from meals is really helpful. Drinking water at room temperature, not freezing cold, is helpful. Those are different strategies that we can use uh, to have better absorption of our water. Oh, good. I, I do have my room temperature water here. Can you tell us, I know some people really prefer ice water. They want their water very cold. So what are some of the issues? I don't know if it's really an issue, but what are some of the issues that you see with ice water versus room temperature? Well, particularly when we're in a cold environment, um, we need a strong, well, we need a strong digestive fire all, all the time. So this is to properly break down and absorb nutrients. Um, and when we have a cool digestive fire, then we're not properly breaking them down and digesting them. And so drinking ice water throughout the day cools the system, and particularly when we do this around meals. So it's important to drink water away from meals, and ideally if we could sip on room temperature or even um, 
like slightly warm water throughout the day, that all, that really helps uh, with hydration. I like that fuel our digestion, digestive fire. So some people um, are drinking water throughout the day. A lot of people drink warm water or hot water, I should say. Uh, in specific cultures, they drink hot water instead. So I guess that's, you know, leading to your, you gave us the answer of why they're doing this. That's great. Uh, we had an email come in about nutrition for children. And this mother wants to know whether there are any cereals that are a good option for children because they're looking for a quick breakfast before running out the door. And from what you said earlier, I feel like I already know your answer. You go ahead. Um, well, children do have different nutritional needs than adults. We know that. And um, generally, children also do better or can do better on higher carbohydrates than adults do. So the important thing when choosing any processed food, and this is not to say that I don't have any processed food either, right? I'm not, I don't have any processed, uh, I don't live in an absolute, mm -hmm. uh, but looking for um, things that are, have more limited ingredients and also really staying away from processed sugars is one of the most important things we can do. And I understand that children don't always want to have cereal if it's not sweetened, but there are some tricks that we can use to try and make it a little bit sweeter. Throwing some fresh strawberries or fruits into the cereal is helpful. And if we are looking for things that are sweetened with um, the least processed, so honey, um, maple syrup, right, are better alternatives uh, in terms of uh, minerals coming with the sugars at least as well because there are minerals in, in uh, honey and uh, maple syrup oh that's good to know so is that also the same for if you're just looking to sweeten any food better than using white sugar we can use honey or pure maple syrup yes and well this kind of starts to go into um, really more specific um, areas of Talking about nutritional therapy, there are two things that are most common that I see in adults, and one of them is blood sugar imbalance, blood sugar issues, and then the other one is digestive issues and digestive um, disorders or discomfort, not even uh, labeled disorders or diagnosed, but those are the two main areas that I end up working with people most on. So. For everyone, one of my general recommendations, and I also just listed with one of the core competencies, is to try and reduce our um, sugar, our added sugars. Absolutely. Reduce your added sugars. Okay, I definitely want to continue discussing more of your nutritional advice when we come back from a short break. You are listening to Line One, Your Health Connection. If you have a question or comment for our guest today, Give us a call statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, or in Anchorage at 550-8433. After this short break, we will continue our discussion about the impact of nutrition on wellness with nutritionist Ms. Audra Henderson as Line 1 continues statewide. Line One, your health connection comes to you from Alaska Public Media and is made possible with support from Providence Imaging Center with over 30 years of commitment to the community with a comprehensive patient-centered focus approach. Learn more at provimaging.com. 
The Alaska State Library Talking Book Center has audiobooks and more for children and adults who are unable to read standard print. Learn more at talkingbooks.alaska.gov. This message sponsored by the Alaska Library Network. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. I'm joined by guest Ms. Audra Henderson, who is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and fitness expert, providing virtual care at Audra Wellness and Nutritional Therapy. Have you been diagnosed with a medical problem and want to incorporate nutrition and lifestyle changes into your treatment plan? Are you severely obese and unable to incorporate movement into your life due to pain or mobility issues? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, in Anchorage at 550-8433, 550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Ms. Henderson, I was intrigued by your history. You worked as a licensed esthetician, and I thought how perfect your career has incorporated all aspects of your training. Tell us about your new program to attain healthy aging skin. Um, well, so this class uh, really kind of came about um, from my own interest in skin health. Uh, our skin is our largest organ, so really what we eat does end up on our face. Um, and, you know, our face is also what we show, show the world. And so there is a great value in feeling really good about what we look like, um, right? Not from a, necessarily always a place of ego, though it's hard to separate that as human beings, um, but just be feeling really good about ourselves. Also, the skincare industry is a multibillion-dollar industry and just overloaded. I think we're inundated with information and products, and it's just become so overwhelming that um, I really wanted to develop this class that really helped to um, be super clear about and look at it from an internal approach. What are we putting into our body? And externally, what are we putting on our body? What are we putting on our skin? So that's really how the class um, developed. Nutrition really is the cake, and topical skincare is the icing. So um, how, do we, how do we slow signs of aging? How do we help um, cure uh, conditions such as eczema or acne, rosacea? All of those things are covered and talked about in my class. Excellent. More specifically. Give us some uh, quick takeaways for how we can prevent aging of our skin. Well, I'm going to say number one is going to be with hydration. Uh, number two, vitamins and minerals. Most of our vitamins and minerals come from plants. We get so many vitamins and minerals from plants. So a higher plant diet is going to be something that we can do internally. Um, optimizing digestion is really important when it comes to our skin health. So skin inflammation, things that we see, such as acne or rosacea, uh, eczema, are internal 
conditions, right? And so they're being, they're, they're um, manifesting physically. And to deal with those, we need to also look at our digestion and to see if there's inflammation happening in our gut, which comes from diet. So high, high inflammatory foods that we tend to eat in the American diet, refined grains, refined sugar, um, tobacco is obviously terrible for our skin. Uh, also uh, topical or environmental exposures. So we want to make sure to protect our skin. SPF, uh, choosing appropriate SPF, that's a whole topic in my class um, and what types of SPFs we're looking for and ingredients to look for and what to avoid. And also protection. So are we using um, anything that contains antioxidants on our skin to help to help and prevent um, some of those environmental toxins? I love that. That is something that we all need to know because aging happens to all of us if we're lucky, right? And it can be quite embarrassing if our face shows what we're eating on the inside unless we're eating our healthy diet. Can you share with us something personal, maybe something that you would eat, a diet on your typical day? Sure. So um, I tend to uh, stick to um, a paleo diet mostly. I do uh, am gluten-free, I, which I learned uh, through an ND back in 2006. So I, I'm strict about gluten. I also eliminated refined sugars about six years ago. That made a huge difference in my skin. So my diet, I try to consist of mostly plants um, and healthy fats, so avocados, nuts, and uh, clean sources of protein. So a lot of wild fish, um, if possible, poultry, things like that is primarily what my diet looks like. Okay, well, you must share with us, what is the truth about dairy? Highly debated um, topic. So the USDA says that adults should eat three cups of dairy per day in the form of cheese, yogurt, milk, etc. Um, I personally think that this is an excessive amount, really just based on the fact that um, dairy, we are the only species that consume dairy past infancy, and we also consume dairy of species that are not our own. This is not to say that dairy should be eliminated. Some people do really, really well on dairy, and I um, am not one of them. Mm. <laughs> so. So my my dairy consumption is more limited, but there it is. Um, it's it's tricky because I don't I won't make a blanket statement to say we should all avoid dairy. In fact, high fat dairy can be really really helpful for a lot of conditions and therapeutic for our skin, for hormonal health, um, for lots of different things. But the main key is to take away if it's healthy for you or not. And one of the ways that I use, that I do that in my practice is I have everybody make, um, I call it my traffic light foods, but it's really a three column. So a green column, a red column, and an, and a yellow column. And in those columns, I have everybody write, what are the foods that you do really, really well with in the green column? Write them all down without judgment, just looking at it. What are the ones that make you feel good that you do well on? In the red column, what are the foods that you know are not good for you or cause problems. Even sometimes those go in the red column. If you're not sure or they're indifferent, you're not put them in the yellow column. 
And based on that, I, we guide uh, our clients through this process of really figuring out what is best for you and your diet. So if green, if in your green column you have Parmesan cheese, then I'm not going to say take it out of your diet, right, until you realize or figure it out if that's true for you. That's excellent advice. We have an email uh, that came in from Ms. Deborah, and she has a question about fasting and blood sugars. She says that over the past 30 years, the recommendations for fasting blood sugars have changed from 120 to 110 to 100 for a fasting level. Uh, can you comment on this and talk about where our blood sugar should be fasting or after a meal for optimum health? And she also thinks that she has diabetes or prediabetes, even though she's followed the guidelines you've talked about. Mm-hmm. So um, I am not a fasting expert. Um, I wouldn't actually even say I'm a diet expert because, well, I used to be before NTA. Um, what I've learned is to bring it back to these really foundational um, things and, and approach to eating. And so fasting is a really great tool uh, for our health when used appropriately. Um, it works extremely well in people who are undergoing um, chemo uh, chemo treatment. Fasting has been following Dr. Longo's research. Um, fasting is really, really great in certain instances um, for certain conditions. I don't know that fasting long-term um, is really best for our overall health. Um, and it also depends, but mostly depends on how we're fasting and the foods that we're eating when we're coming out of fasting. Uh, if that makes sense. So in terms of the numbers, I'm not necessarily the person to um, to talk to about specific numbers, but generally speaking, a fasted approach or even intermittent fasting to our lifestyle is really helpful because it helps the body to utilize nutrients. So when, for example, when talking about fitness, when we go to sleep, our body is recovering, right? We're um, regenerating. And when we wake up in the morning, we want to make sure that we hydrate first thing in the morning. And doing um, exercise in that fasted state, especially in the morning, is really, really helpful for our body to utilize nutrients that have been stored, even the day before, the day before that. And then coming out of that fast um, with a well-rounded meal, something that utilizes all of the macronutrients that we talked about. So fats, proteins, carbohydrates, mostly in the form of plants, um, but incorporating healthy fat um, and healthy, and if you're an animal um, eater, then also uh, animal protein as well, or plant-based protein. So this is why it's recommended a lot that people exercise in the morning on a fasting, in a fasting state. One of the reasons that it is, um, personally, it's what I started doing a long time ago. And I, all the time people, friends call me, did you know this? Did you know this? Or I started doing this. Or I have a question about this. And it wasn't too long ago that a family member called and said, did you know this? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I, I've been doing that for years. I always do, pretty much always do fasted cardio in the morning for a couple of reasons. One, it feels good. And one of the things that I really try to emphasize in my practice is this food and mood. And also, not even just food, but your mood and under, and just looking at how do we feel a lot throughout the day. Um, how, do I feel better when I exercise on an empty stomach? Do I feel better when I exercise on, you know, a little bit of nutrients in my system, something like that? So one of the reasons that exercising in the morning 
is really helpful is because we are in a fasted state. But the other reason that it's really helpful is because, as the saying goes, what we do every day matters more than what we do once in a while. And exercising first thing in the morning, there are less barriers um, to getting up and doing that. By the end of the day, our um, energy usually wanes. Um, we come up with excuses, and there are more reasons to not do it at the end of the day. So studies show that people that exercise in the morning tend to stick to the routine better than people who exercise at night. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I do want to add a little extra information for Ms. Deborah about those levels, although I'm not, uh, I don't treat diabetes. However, uh, some of those guidelines have changed uh, or haven't really changed, but the numbers after you eat meals change depending on how long after you test your blood sugar. So whether that's at a one-hour interval or a two-hour interval, the numbers will change, um, your target numbers. But another thing is also your health state, your medical state. So if you're pregnant, we may want you to have a lower fasting blood sugar and a lower after-meal blood sugar because we want to be more strict with your treatment because it's going to affect other things. So if you have other medical problems like heart disease, you also may have numbers for that. Or due to your age, you may have a different target number for that. So that's kind of how those uh, fasting blood sugars and after meal blood sugars change. Uh, and the fasting blood sugar is also important because if you haven't eaten for eight hours or 12 hours, then you should have a lower blood sugar. If you don't, then that may signify something else that's going on. You know, it may also signify some insulin insensitivity. So you'd want to look further if your fasting levels are, are higher. It may not be just a, um, a type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes. And I would also add to that um, the amount of time and how efficient our body is at fasting, also those, those values will be reflected in that. So, for example, if someone has been doing a keto diet, a keto diet for a very long time and they eat something that's a little bit more high glycemic, it won't necessarily bump them out of keto if their body has been in ketosis for quite some time. So the length of time also really makes a difference in those numbers. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Ms. Henderson, another class you shared with me was a class on nutrition for fertility and preconception. We recently tackled this complex subject on line one. Can you talk to us a bit about your recommendations for this population? Yes. Um, so this is this class is really about preconception and conception um, and fertility health. So not uh, necessarily when there are diagnosable um, problems. So I think the, the recommendations can still be the same. So, I mean, the goal is to ensure fertilization plantation and that the baby has the health, the best health possible. Uh, so some of those things that, that are recommended, um, number one is uh, looking at our stress levels. So exercise, yoga, meditation, um, social, support, hobbies, spirituality, all of those things, um, having those um, in place and looking at our stress level. And then the second uh, thing to look at is kind of reducing our toxic load and cleaning up our lifestyle, cleaning up our diet. So things like cleaning our homes and personal care products, um, making sure our pathways of detoxification are open. So liver, colon, kidneys, right? Are we having a bowel movement every day? If you're not, we're not going to be 
uh, eliminating property properly, right, or enough. Um, and then also breathing and sweating. Those are all areas of, of uh, detoxification that we can use. Looking at our diet, we want a properly prepared, nutrient-dense, whole food diet. I go into that specifically uh, more in my class, but properly prepared, nutrient-dense, whole food diet. So going back to that shopping the perimeter, foods that rot at room temperature uh, kind of diet. And then looking at digestion. So we want to chew, chew, chew our food, <laughs> eat slowly, and stop at 80% full. Also, blood sugar balance is a part of that. Um, and then I also look at other things like minerals, um, our essential fatty acids, hydration, and um, overall lifestyle uh, support. Excellent. That is some great information. Uh, it is time for our last break. But when we return, I want to talk about fitness. That's another important part of this. So we're going to take another short break for the stations down the line. If you have a question or comment for our guest today, give us a call statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, or in Anchorage at 550-8433. We'll continue our discussion on diet and the impact of nutrition on wellness when we return. You're listening to Line One, Your Health Connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine is now authorized in the U.S. for anyone 12 years or older. Getting your child immunized with this free, safe, and effective vaccine is a great way to get them safely back to sports, get-togethers, and other fun summer activities. Learn more about COVID-19 vaccines and schedule appointments at covidvax.alaska.gov or call the State of Alaska COVID-19 Vaccine Helpline at 1-833-482-9546. This message sponsored by the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. Welcome back to Line One. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Our guest today is Ms. Audra Henderson, who is the owner of Audra Wellness and Nutritional Therapy, a virtual practice. She has her Master of Public Health and is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and fitness expert. You can also join our conversation. Are you looking for that perfect diet to assist you in weight loss? Have you struggled with yo-yo dieting due to an inability to sustain your nutrition plan? Have you been successful with finding a healthy eating plan? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, in Anchorage at 550-8433, 550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Ms. Henderson, I definitely want to discuss fitness and how do you incorporate fitness into your client coaching? Um, so I've been a personal trainer since 2006, I believe. It was part of what, a huge part of what led me to, um, to opening my practice. Um, I, just fitness is really fun to me and I love feeling the endorphins of a great sweat and great workout. Um, so the first thing that I recommend to people is to find something that, that we enjoy doing um, or at least somewhat enjoy over time that, that joy, the benefits tend to grow. 
but to find something that we enjoy doing is, is the first thing that I talk to my clients about. Excellent. And how, um, tell us about the best type of movements and do they differ if you're trying to find fitness for fat loss versus strength building, building muscle, cardio? What are the differences in these types of exercise and who should incorporate what? Well, so there's there's um, three tiers of fitness. So there's cardiovascular exercise, there is strength training, and then there is the forgotten flexibility. With the exception of yoga, we tend to we tend to go, think about yoga, but it's cardio, strength, and flexibility. And we want to make sure that we're incorporating all of those elements into a fitness routine. So the recommendation for uh, for mental for cardio, especially for mental health, is 30 minutes five times a week of sweat inducing where you can just barely carry a conversation or higher activity. Um, and uh, for strength training, it, minimum two to three times a week. And then flexibility really should be daily um, or more intensely um, several times a week. So there's no way around the sweating. You've mentioned that a couple times. <laughs> no, no, we really need to break break a sweat every day. doesn't really matter how you do it. Just find, find a way to do it. <laughs> If it's gardening, that's fine. If it's bike riding, that's great. If you're in the pool and you can't tell if you're sweating, you probably are, but that's fine too, right? Okay, so we just have to get started with movement. Do you recommend, who do you recommend gets a personal trainer? That may not be something that's available to everyone. So I do virtual training um, as well, which wasn't something that I actually thought that I would probably be able to do. And yet I found that, for consistency, it actually works just as well that people can join me in their home. Um, not a lot of tools are really required when you're doing body weight exercises, right? Just a space, the size of a yoga mat. I've even used water bottles as hand weights before, right? Or cans, anything that you can hold in your hand that would provide uh, or substitute as weights. Um, so virtual training is a part of my practice, but mostly what I encourage people to do, not necessarily do you need a personal trainer, but do you feel comfortable um, moving your body in certain ways? Do you have aches and pains that need to be looked at? Has anyone told you that you have, you know, a weaker blah, 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 a weaker left, you know, side or left glute or left some, so that there's something that we need to balance, work on balance. Um, so personally, I, yes, I think everybody should have a personal trainer. I, love having a personal trainer when I do. <laughs> I don't at the minute, but even personal trainers want personal trainers. Oh, that's interesting. So even you have had a personal trainer. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, we had an email that came in from Melinda, who has a question about nutrition. She would like to know how you deal with oxalates on a high plant diet. She said that she is sensitive to oxalates and not just by forming kidney stones. Mm-hmm. Well, so um, this is a really good question. Um, digest, optimizing digestion is the first thing to look at um, in a high plant diet that's informing oxalates. Also in how we're preparing our nutrients and preparing our food um, changes that as well. So plants that are cooked are more digestible and uh, than, than raw food diets. And sometimes I think we get... Uh, 
I mean, any anybody very um, single focused about the, you know, raw foods diets, this, and we learn all of this information and really kind of want to stay true to that course, which is a great attribute um, for success, right, to follow through. But I, but also what I love about this um, question is that we're taking our own bio-individuality into account. Uh, so looking at digestion would be one of the first things that I would do. And also trying to find best ways of cooking our plants and cooking our food so that it is uh, the most absorbable um, as possible. Thank you. That's a great answer. Now, since we're on this topic of uh, nutrition and diets, I would like to kind of talk about some of the popular diets that are out there. And there are so many diets and eating plans. And you know, when we're diagnosed with an illness, we want a prescription to follow. And so that doesn't stop with nutrition. We want to have a prescription plan, do this, do that, and you will receive this. So let's just see what we think about these plans. We can just throw out some and, you know, a quick, yeah, I think that's a great one or no, uh, and what your thoughts are on diet. So in this list, I've got um, HCG diet. A lot of people are asking about that one. Keto is a very popular one that people have been on, and previously Atkins. Then there's a plant-based diet. There's a vegetarian diet. Some of these aren't diets. They're just lifestyles. Um, intermittent fasting, the fasting-mimicking diet. Uh, paleo, you mentioned earlier. I hadn't thought about that one. Paleo, gluten-free, non-dairy, um, Whole30. What are some other ones? Did I get them? Mm-hmm. Yes, those are they're right. I'm tired. <laughs> it's not so. My answer to this is really more a, comes from a place of, um, I mean, just personal experience and my own struggles with weight and food when I was younger and trying to understand my own body. Um, so, really, I hope this comes across as in the most genuine and authentic way um, that. There is so much wrapped up in how we look um, and our weight. And so diets really a lot of the time come from a place of wanting to reduce body fat, right? That's the ultimate goal so that we can look better. And that is um, part of what we want. And that's part of what we, uh, you know, we want to feel better. We want to look better. But I really try to myself and stress the importance of really going deeper. I mean, is this, what are, what is the underlying motive and what is the desire, right? What's the ultimate goal? And I talk about this in some of my goal setting classes and my behavior change, which I think is just some of the most fascinating research is how do we make healthy habits for life, not just achieve a goal? Um, How do we have sustainable lasting health? Uh, So diets that um, are, can be used throughout a a lifetime are those that I lean towards and diets that are short-term, I don't as much unless they're being used for specific things like fasting during chemo, fasting for a specific condition, uh, things like that. So really looking at what is my ultimate goal um, and why am I doing this? Is it motivation? Is it coming from a place more of ego or is it really inspiration? Things like I want to be around for my children. I want to see my grandkids, you know, graduate. I want to be able to run a 3K because I've always wanted to do that or a 5K or a half marathon or whatever those specific goals are. 
so my general recommendation for any diet is um, a if you're going to make a change to your diet, starting with a Whole30 diet. So that's very paleo in nature. With the incorporation, I would say of legumes, potatoes, if they work for you, if that's one of the foods in your green column, and more of a Mediterranean focus in terms of fats and proteins. That diet is going to be most uh, beneficial for the majority of the population. Um, And then using your green list, red list, yellow list to tailor that specifically to your to your needs. So really trusting your body and um, releasing judgment as as we as we kind of go through that process. Releasing judgment. I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that. And your nutrition plan or the diets you choose basically seem more like lifestyle plans that are sustainable, not quick fixes per se. Yes. Well, quick story. I have um, a friend who, for, in terms of diets, for example, and this is true for um, for vegan diets, but it can be true for any of the diets that you just listed. So the story was she wanted to uh, reduce her animal consumption. She wanted to become a vegan, and she really supported that by watching different documentaries, talking to other people who, who were vegans, et cetera. And she followed that for quite some time. She went um, on vacation, actually, <laughs> and she said to me, Audra, I'm really nervous about going on vacation and all of these foods that I used to eat and being triggered, and what is your recommendation? What, what would you suggest? And so I gave her a recommendation. She came back two weeks later, and she said, Audra, I ate terribly the entire time that I was there. And I said, well, that's a judgment, but what do you mean by terribly? <laughs> what exactly do you mean? She said, well, I ate this, and I ate, pl- I ate you know, burgers, and I had all these things that I don't normally eat on a vegan diet. And I said, okay. Now, how do you feel? And her answer shocked me. She said, I feel so much better. I feel amazing. Why do you think that is? And I said, well, I think that you were missing certain key macro and micronutrients with the diet that you were on. And so your body is telling you at this particular moment in your life, right, as a child bearing or almost childbearing woman that you needed more of these nutrients that were that were missing from your diet. So if you feel better, my my suggestion is you need to eat you need to eat animal proteins. Your body is telling you that. So choose the ones that make you feel the best. Choose those that are sustainable. Cook them lovingly. Chew them. Digest them. Enjoy them with friends, right? And make it and and then be done with it. Be totally done with it and move on to the other areas of your life. So that that's just that's not to say anything about being vegan at all. That's just about trusting your own body and what works for you. And you're helping to guide uh, people into how to trust their body, how to recognize cues and signs that our bodies give us, because we may see them but not recognize them. Right, right. So when developing a weight loss or a wellness plan, are there other professionals that we need to join the team? I definitely think that um, having the most support or even people to um, utilize or reference is going to set us up for success. So um, mental health practitioners can be really, really helpful um, for any emotional uh, eating disorders, um, but also just in general mental health professionals, but specifically when we have not as healthy relationships with food. There are free programs that um, we can use too, right? So there are things like 12-step programs. Um, there are other programs like Brightline Eating also has more of that. It's another program that is similar. 
so I've used all different types of healing modalities because I think it's fun and I've found great success. Acupuncture, I mentioned earlier, has been helpful. Um, body work care, I think, is really helpful. Uh, and also when we're starting a fitness routine, especially if we haven't been active in a while, seeing a personal trainer or someone who can help us guide us through the beginning is really important. We oftentimes get super excited about a fitness routine and then want to just go all for it and then injuries happen and then we get discouraged and to try and prevent that we want to exercise in a safe and fun way or environment yeah let people help you let's all get help along this journey we have a caller that's left us with a question and they want to know should we be worried about pesticides in our food well, um, pesticides are in the food. Uh, we know that even organic food contains uh, pesticides. So what, unless we are going to have our own gardens and grow all of our own food, what we can do is try to purchase organic when it's available. Uh, we do know that it has higher has higher nutrients. Um, generally, tastes better as well. And when our food tastes better, we also enjoy it more, and we tend to eat less of it. Uh, but washing our produce, um, regardless if it's conventional or uh, if it's organic, that is the most important thing we can do. So purchase a very small or large vegetable brush that you leave on your counter, and either making a a solution yourself or purchasing one and cleaning our, our fruits and vegetables is one of the is really the best thing that we can do. Okay, so it's best with a solution, not just rinsing in water. Yeah, and something simple. There's vinegar, um, a slight vinegar or baking soda solution. Uh, so nothing uh, too too harsh. Those you can find those online pretty easily DIY. Um, but brushing using a brush. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Henderson. Nutrition is a topic rich in information that pertains to everyone. We could have a whole entire series on nutrition and fitness. Let me give you a few moments to give your final takeaways because it is time for us to say goodbye. Yes, well, thank you so much for having me. A few takeaways that I um, hope that listeners uh, will get is, number one, eat real food, mostly plants, not too much. Uh, be kind to your body and to yourself through everything, especially changes, um, practicing compassion, loving what your body can do for you, and paying attention to your food and mood. So enjoy this process uh, of discovering what works for you and what doesn't, and really just try to focus on the action, not necessarily the results, as we uh, make these changes. Our thanks to our guest, Ms. Audra Henderson, for being with us today. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tobin Shelby, and our producer, Adeline Baxter. You can find more information on this and previous programs on our website, alaskapublic.org. Let us know your thoughts or suggestions by emailing us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. This has been Line 1, your health connection. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Thank you. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.